so an unusual start to a preach. I'm going to start by asking you to get your phones out. So grab your phones out. Everybody grab your phone, unless you left it at home. Well done if you left it at home. You don't normally get permission to get your phone out at the beginning of a preach. I'm not like permissing you to spend the whole entire preach on Facebook. But if you can grab your phones, open your camera roll and see if you can find the best selfie of yourself from the summer or photo of yourself in your camera roll from the summer maybe you haven't got one from the summer just maybe from 2023 see if you can find that and then share that with the person next to you have a little have a little look at each other's selfies you know I can I can hear say some nice things like oh yeah I like your top oh lovely background new sunglasses You might have to scroll back a little further to get your selfie. (laughs) Martin, can you pop the PowerPoint up for me? Thank you. (laughs) Distracted by... Looking at people's selfies. Put your hands up if somebody near you's got a nice selfie. A nice selfie, showing something fun that they were doing, or just, you know, they look nice in that selfie. Oh, good. I'm glad you've, I'm glad you find some nice, some nice selfies. Okay, put your phones away. All right, enough of that. Turn them on silent, put them away. Um, let's get into what Jesus is wanting to teach us this morning. Okay, I'm going to start by praying. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning as your church family. Thank you that you you gave us the church, that you birthed this church, that you've brought us together, and that as we come this morning, we've just had such a great time worshipping you and hearing um, messages from you, words from you, um, praising you for ways that you've that you've broke through in people's lives and answered prayers. We thank you, God. And as we open your word now, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it is your word that speaks into our life, that brings challenge, that brings encouragement, that brings wisdom, that points us in the right direction. And I pray, Lord, that just that your spirit would be with us now as we open the word. And that you would speak into our lives, that you would bring challenge, that you would bring encouragement, and that you would help us to fix our eyes on you. Amen. Okay, so we are in the final part of our stories that Jesus told this morning. And um, I'm sure you were all wondering, did I have any selfies on my phone? So, which button do I press? Oh no, at this, the middle one. There we go. I don't know if you can see very well, but there's a few selfies from my summer. Um, I did have a lovely summer. I managed to escape England for a couple of weeks and go to France, which was absolutely lovely. Some people had selfies. Some people didn't. Total honesty, it was a complete shock when I looked through my camera roll and found that I had over 20 selfies from the last six weeks. Um, Don't know if that says anything about myself. But anyway, not shocked to nil. Not (laughs) shocked. Thank you from my delightful husband. That's lovely. Thank you very much. So we are in the final part of our series on stories that Jesus taught. And I hope that you found it encouraging. We've been, for those of you that maybe haven't been around or if you're new, we've been looking at um, some of the parables over the summer. Um, Johnny May spoke a couple of weeks ago um, on the rich man and Lazarus, that parable. And that was so brilliant. Such great 
brilliant teaching from Jesus about how our wealth and our earthly treasures are absolutely nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus. And that was, that was a challenging but encouraging word. And that's kind of where we're going today. Today we are looking at the parable. Um, is it working when I do this? Is it changing? Oh yeah, excellent. So today we are looking at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I have found this an, a highly interesting and challenging um, parable as I've been preparing for this. And I've been praying that God would use this parable to challenge us and to encourage us this morning. Um, and I, as I was, um, as we're kind of coming to the end of the worship, I feel like God gave me a picture, it's a bit of an unusual picture, um, of like um, a spicy meat sandwich. Put your hand up if you'd like a spicy meat sandwich. I don't really tend to eat meat, but, you know, if I was going to, probably a spicy meat sandwich would be pretty nice. I sometimes cook bread. The smell of freshly cooked bread, I I mean, I I don't. I put the ingredients in the bread maker and it does it for me, is amazing, right? The bread, just the smell of the bread draws you in. And I feel like God um, used this morning, this and our time of worship, just draw us in with this soft encouragement, his... um, you know, is the testimonies of people whose lives are being transformed by God and that lovely bread. Now we're going to get to the meaty bit in the middle and there's going to be some spicy meat in the middle. So some of this is like a little hefty, but go with me because at the bottom or the top of the sandwich, we've got another slice of soft bread. And that is the way that God works. He brings us challenge and he brings us encouragement. But his way is good. It's like bread. It's the bread of our life. And we're going to have this spicy meat that's going to hopefully bring some encouragement, but it's going to show us that God is good. His bread is good and his way for us is good. Um, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, and that's not where we're going today, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There may be a few moments this morning, and there certainly was for me in preparing, that it might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but God's yoke is easy and his burden is light. And keep going because I promise that God's going to lead us to green pastures by the end because his way is good. Amen? Amen. I was hoping for a really loud amen from Gemma there. Like, um, while we were at Commission Festival, I was the opposite side of the marquee of like 2,000 people and I could hear Gemma saying amen. So, yeah. Okay, because God is good. Amen. Yeah, okay, brilliant. Thank you. This, this is helping me. This is helping me with my nerves. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so um, today we have got the, par- the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You can't see very clearly up there, but if you grab your Bibles, it is in Luke 18 verse 9 to 14. So if you open Luke 18, verse 9 to 14, and we'll read the parable. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. Amen. Okay, so as we look through this parable today, I'm going to be looking to answer three questions. Questions is how we learn. Um, and one is, who is this parable for? That's the first question. Then, what is Jesus teaching us? And then finally, how should I live differently in response to this parable. So who is this parable for? Well, Jesus tells us at the beginning of the parable, it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, he told this parable. So this is who Jesus is teaching to, those who were confident of their own righteousness and those who looked down on everybody else. Okay, so let's start with the first one. Those who were confident of their own righteousness. Righteousness is being right and perfect in the eyes of God. It means, based on God's standard, being without sin. Anybody here feel like they are righteous in their own standard? I think we can all agree, and Thomas, you know, brought it in, the, you know, in his word this morning as he led us in. We are all with it. None, none of us are without sin. We've all sinned. So we all know that we're not perfect. And as Christians, we believe that we are made perfect through what Jesus did for us on the cross. Um, but this verse says that those who were confident of their own righteousness, and it's talking about self-righteousness. And this um, character of the the Pharisee in the parable is like the perfect example of someone who is confident of his own righteousness. When he comes to God, it's not, it's not about God. It's all about him and who he is and who he most certainly is not. And in verse 11, it says, the, verse, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I get a tenth of all I get. I wonder what the wording of that prayer would be if we put it maybe into today's context, a prayer that maybe somebody in church might bring in today's context. Maybe it would be like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, influencers, party animals, internet scammers, or even that friend of mine from church who used to be sold out for Jesus and has backslidden. I lead the kids' work. I've been on teas and coffees for the last three weeks. I went to the commission festival and I camped. I didn't stay in a and b And I gave really generously of my hard-earned money in the last gift day. Okay, I think that's probably what, if Jesus was bringing that parable to bed today, that would be his example. And we'd listen to that and think, oh, golly, what a person. And Jesus portrays that Pharisee, as he often does in his parables, as an exaggerated character. And I know for certain, when I first read this parable, I thought, well, I'm not like the Pharisee. It's okay. (laughs) But read between the lines of what I'm thinking when I'm thinking I'm not like the Pharisee. And I'm thinking I'm not like the Pharisee. I'm better than the Pharisee. Oh dear, I am the Pharisee. Is that, that's what I realized. I realized that when we think and deeply reflect on our character and evaluate the way that we think, wow, self-righteousness is so easy to slip into. It's so easy to be. It happens when we focus too much on ourselves and thinking about 
what we're doing and I've done this and that's the way that the world teaches us to live right we we're taught to just you know focus on ourselves and promoting ourselves and I, a moment ago I told you to look at a selfie on your phone and that was a bit of fun but um, I wanted to also highlight how much in our world we have a magnifying focus on self and I think the growth of technology and social media has probably increased that. And what you look like, what you're doing, what job you've got, um, you know, how many friends you've got, how many followers, how many likes you've got, they're all of such importance in the world's eye. And they're such easy temptations for each one of us in some way to fall into prioritizing. And we can put that attitude into our spiritual life and the way that we're living as Christians Really, I was, to be honest, I was actually shocked when I looked through my camera roll at the number of selfies that I'd taken of myself. It's just kind of become normal, the selfie culture. I don't think if I looked through my camera roll even five years ago, I would have had as many photos of me. Um, and it's so easy for us to shift our attention off of God and onto self. And that's what this Pharisee has clearly done. I, you know, he's is when he comes with his prayer, it's all about me. It's all about what I have done and what I haven't done. And it's such a strong pull for us to be focused on self. And we, we just need to be continually revisiting that kind of that pull, that temptation to focus on self, focus on your, your world um, in this area. I remember when I was a child and I was in church, and uh, kind of at the end of the preach, the, the vicar said, like, Let, let's pray and asked us to bring to mind our sins of the week so that we could, um, we could confess our sins, you know, in our, in our private prayers. We could confess and ask for forgiveness. And I remember thinking, I, I was looking around at everyone. They had their heads down. Everyone was muttering. And I remember thinking, I literally haven't sinned. I've, I've done nothing. I have been so good this week. Like, honestly, I've done absolutely nothing. I know that my brother and sister next to me, actual brother and sister, have sinned because they like punch me and they kick me and they did all of these things to me. But I've, I've actually had a really good week. I've been really good this week. I, it's such a clear memory for me. I remember it so clearly thinking like, I'm, I'm all good. I haven't sinned. And... Um, I don't think that was probably true. In fact, I'm very glad that my mum is on holiday this week um, because otherwise she would be definitely laughing and rolling her eyes because, you know, I, I don't know, we can get so focused on the good things that we're doing that, like, we, we don't see our attitude. How was I so self-righteous as a child in that moment, so convinced that I was okay, that I, that, that I hadn't sinned? And I think it's because I didn't really know God. I didn't have a relationship with God. I wasn't focused on God because when we focus on God and how good he is, wow, it can illuminate our failings. And, 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 it, and as he increases and we decrease, we are so aware, we can become so much more aware of our need for him to save us and to forgive us from our sins. And the Pharisee in this passage was so focused on those good works that he was doing, the ways that he was keeping God's law, the ways that he was, you know, being a Pharisee and blessing everybody, that he failed to see what is so abundantly obvious to us when we read this parable, that his character was so ugly and so flawed. He thought that his good works were enough, but his attitude and his heart were flawed. And, and that's what he'd lost sight of by focusing on what he was doing. He'd, fo he'd lost sight of his relationship with God. 
and who God is and his heart. And, he, uh, and we can do that ourselves when we, we, when we go through the hamster wheel of life and we start getting focused on what we're doing and what we need to be doing. And, oh, I did that. That was, that was quite good, yeah. Oh, I got a promotion. At, that was quite good. Oh, I did really well in my last, you know, meeting with my, my boss. Or, oh, I did this at church and I, 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 you know, I cut my neighbor's grass. We can get focused so easily on works and, and forget about our relationship with God. And so the reference of to their own righteousness is perhaps something that, I don't know, I, I've, I saw some people nodding, so I feel like maybe I'm not the only person who's, who was able to see a little bit of a parallel between myself and the Pharisee. Um, and we need to evaluate that in, our, lo- in our, our lives. How much am I confident of who I am in Christ because of me or because of him? Because of him and his grace. And so the second reference, this is good, isn't it? It's, it's spicy sausage, spicy, spicy meat in the middle of the sandwich. I told you it was coming. The second reference of who this parable was for was for those who looked down on everyone else, looking down on others. That's pretty bad, right? That's pretty bad. And we all know that we should treat everyone um, equally, that we shouldn't judge others. Jesus said in Matthew 7, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your, own, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye you've only got to spend half an hour with a group of children to see this played out and if you speak to any parent here who's got multiple children in the lovely long six-week summer holidays I'm pretty sure that they will all agree that the constant telltaling is exhausting our children are so explicit at illustrating what Jesus is saying here. She's touching my car seat. He didn't wash his hands when he went to the toilet. She isn't helping me tidy up the toys. Failing to remember how they'd actually punched their brother or stole their sweets behind their back, you know, half an hour ago. But I wonder if we were to speak aloud all of our innermost thoughts, how many of us would be sitting on the naughty step with the kids for looking down on others? There's so many subtle ways, isn't there, that we like that we look down in our minds at other people and it beefs us up like we 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 feel good because we're not doing that and I wonder if you were completely honest whether you've ever thought any of these things I've put them up here they're always late they haven't got a hold on their children's behavior their house is so messy they spend their money carelessly they're so disorganized they waste their time they waste their money they let their children watch far too much tv They're obsessed with their hobby. They never text back. They don't spend enough time with their family. They drink too much. They dress inappropriately. I don't think that they've read their Bible for weeks. I could go on and on, and to be honest, you know, lots of those things I have thought myself, and I'm ashamed to admit it, about my my friends, about my brothers and sisters in the church. Like, wow, it's challenging stuff when we evaluate our hearts, when we evaluate what goes on in our minds. So that first question, who is this parable for? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, he told this parable. So I'm guessing that this parable is probably for all of us. I'm pretty confident that we can all say that we see elements of self-righteousness and looking down on others in our character when we really reflect on our inner thoughts. So let's have a little look at the two characters that we've got in our story, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we're going to think about what is Jesus teaching us? So we've got the Pharisee and the tax collector. In verse 10, it says, two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee 
and one a tax collector. So what we've got here is two believers. They're both going to the temple to pray. Jesus is specifically comparing the heart of believers. And it's their heart that this message of the truth that he's wanting to teach us about today. God wants us to, in response to evaluate and consider our hearts. And it's been quite an awakening for me in the last few weeks as I've been preparing for this. Now, Jesus intentionally chose these two very well-known characters in Jewish society. We don't have Pharisees or tax collectors in the same way. But let's think about who those people might be in today's context. The Pharisee is probably your sort of Joe Leach who leads our leads our church, Guy Miller who leads commission, maybe Terry Vogo, Virgo who set up New Frontiers, the family of um, the movement of churches that we're part of. That's your kind of religious, your religious figure who people respect, who people love, who people look up to, who people go to for wisdom. That's the Pharisee in a Jewish context um, 2,000 years ago. And the tax collector, I know I've got some fellow teachers here. This is probably your Ofsted inspector um, to the teacher profession is your tax collector. So the Pharisee in the Bible was a religious leader and they were considered a, a source of spiritual wisdom. And when we hear the word Pharisee, because we potentially, if you have read some of the, Old Te- the New Testament, Jesus often picks up on the Pharisee and challenges the Pharisee through his teaching. But also the Pharisees came into conflict with Jesus. So we've probably not got, we've got like a skewed way that we see a Pharisee to the way that the original readers and and listeners of of this parable would have seen the Pharisee because they would have seen Pharisee good. Whereas we have a little bit more context when we've heard Jesus sort of negatively talk about the characters of the Pharisee. So Pharisee was like the good guy, the the spiritual leader, very, very respected in Jewish society. And in contrast, we've got the tax collector. Well, they most certainly did not receive the goodwill of the Jewish people. They were looked down upon by every single corner of Jewish culture. I mean, imagine you're a teacher, you know, that's, lots of us are, but if you're not, imagine you're a teacher, someone new walks into church, and you're like, brilliant, someone new, let's go and chat to them, hi, how you doing, like, have you had a nice summer, get to like the, so what do you do for work, and they say, well, I used to be a teacher, but now I'm an Ofsted inspector, are you thinking, teacher, are you thinking, brilliant, I have made extra lunch, so come back and have lunch with my family. Or are you thinking, oh, lovely. Oh, I just need to go to the toilet. Um, So, sorry if there is anybody here that is an Ofsted inspector or considering being an Ofsted inspector. I'm a teacher. We've literally just had Ofsted, so I'm very coloured by my opinion on Ofsted inspectors, although it did go well. Um, So, that is... If you multiply that feeling that maybe I have towards an Ofsted inspector based on just doing Ofsted... And if you multiply that by 100, you've probably got the way that the Jews felt about the tax collectors. The tax collectors were venom. Nobody likes paying taxes, right? Nobody. But especially when you're paying taxes to the hated, oppressive Roman government. Like, that is awful. The tax collectors in the Bible were Jews, yes, who had gone to work for the Romans collecting taxes. Let me hear you say, traitor! Traitor! 
Yeah, okay, so that is kind of how the feeling would have been from the Jewish people about tax collectors. They were traitors, they were helping the Romans. And not only that, it was common knowledge that they made people pay more taxes than they really needed to and kept all of the leftover surplus money to become rich themselves. So listening to this parable, when those two characters were introduced, when Jesus says two men went to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector, without doubt, every Jewish person listening to this parable would have assumed that the Pharisee would have come out on top because the tax collectors, no, they're not going to come out on top. But Jesus does completely the opposite And it would have been shocking. It would have been shocking to the original listeners and receivers of this parable. And I believe that Jesus creates this shocking outcome in the parable in an attempt to get us to evaluate our hearts. And just as I read, when I first read the parable and thought, I'm not a Pharisee, the more I delved into it, the more I became shocked by myself and the outcome of, of realisation of the flaws in my own character. You know, it's so easy to fall into doing good and thinking we're good because we do good things. But God's interested in our hearts. And Jesus is trying to illustrate through this parable um, and help us to understand the danger of the Pharisee's attitude that we can so easily slip into. He sees himself as special and honoured because of what he, what he does. And it's a picture of the temptation that comes with obedience. You know, as we change because of our relationship with God, as we sort of get more invested in church and we're doing more things for church, we can start to forget that we're saved by grace and think, hey, I'm, I'm doing all right here. I'm doing good. God's lucky to have me on his team. And... <laughs> And, you know, it's a dangerous place to be in. And I know from personal experience, and I'm going to share, um, I'm, I'm being very honest here today, so I hope you all still want to be my friends at the end of this preach. Um, I, you know, I have, God's been speaking to me about this over the years, for, lo- for, lo- for lots of years now, but some of you know some parts of this story, but I think it's a really good illustration and hopefully will encourage you of how we can slip out of a healthy walk with God and into dangerous territories. So this goes back about four years, and I, hadn't, I, ge- I genuinely hadn't realised that over the years I'd become, like the Pharisee in this parable, very works-focused in my approach to my faith. I'd applied everything I'd learned through school, through education, through my career of working hard, doing lots of extracurricular activities to the way that I approached my faith. And as time went on, I think that I started to think that I was a good Christian because of what I was doing, the things that I was doing. And my value started to come from all those extracurricular faith activities that I was putting into my life. I got married, I started work, had three kids, and I carried on adding more things into my life and more things in the church, leading the kids' work, leading a life group, being a site leader, starting help launch the Haven't site, running a toddler group in my home to reach out to neighbours, messaging people, discipling people. It's exhaust. Does that sound exhausting? It was exhausting. Now, none of the things that I was doing were bad. They were all good things and what was bad was how I valued myself uh, because of those things and just didn't didn't and felt like I had 
to be doing everything. I had to say yes to everything. I couldn't hold back. I had to do everything in order to be a Christian. That, that was what I needed to do. That was what God had called me to do, to do this and this and this and this and this. And just like the ad, the, that, that childhood male had gone, I'm okay. I've got no sins to confess. I'm good. That was adult male had got trapped into this exhausting, consuming cycle of thinking, I've got to do all these things to be good. This is what God wants from me. That's not what God wanted from me, is it? Is it? Thank you. It's not what God wanted from me. He just wanted me to be me. All he wanted was me. I didn't have to do all of those things to please him, for him to say, well done, Mel, for him to, to love me. I needed to, I just needed to be me. And um, guess what happened? Crash. When we, when we go, go and like carry on doing too many things, it ultimately leads in a crash. And I lost my voice, like literally, totally. Lots of you remember. Um, and I didn't know what God was doing. I was like, why? Why have you taken my voice away? Because you made me a teacher. You made me lead kids' work. I, you know, I, I was having this fight with God about it. Why have you made me lose my voice? And then I was like, it's okay. He's just going to heal me in a week. And then I can carry on doing all the things that I'm doing. You know, losing my voice was so, so, honestly, so traumatic and so difficult for me. And it forced me to do nothing. Going from doing everything and thinking I had to do everything to do nothing. I had to seek medical help I had to have speech therapy which was really embarrassing I had to wear one of these when I was teaching in school when I went back to work I had to stop work for a while and then I and then I used to teach with the Britney mic which the kids loved but it is embarrassing and um it 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 just it was a long time a long process it was months years of trying to work to build my voice back up and I had to stop absolutely everything and I had to just lay down at the cross and say god why why are you doing this? And at the time, I didn't know why, but God graciously stripped me back through losing my voice. And I think it was his plan. I, I believe, I know it was his plan to save me again, to save me from myself and my workspace mentality, my worldly mentality that I was putting into my walk with him, into my faith. And he saved me again. And it says in, in Galatians 5, 1 to 6, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. God didn't make me, you know, God didn't bring me into being a Christian to be chained to doing all of these things. It's freedom that he calls us into. That doesn't mean do nothing, but, you know, like it's finding, it's finding your way in this. But, and then he says, stand firm. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And I was burdened by that slavery of thinking I had to do all of those things for God to love me, for God to accept me, to be part of the church and he showed me my value isn't in what I did. My value wasn't in what I achieved. I didn't need to do anything to make him proud. I just needed to spend time with him. That's it. I just needed to spend time with him and grow in my relationship with him. Wow, it was like finding an oasis in the desert. Maybe you feel that pull in your life. The constant pressure to do more, be more, try harder, achieve more. Maybe you loved lockdown when you could take a break from all of the constant pressures that you put on yourself in your life. And that's the way the world teaches us, like, you know, what's next in your career? What's next in this? Oh, what, what are you doing next on your house? What's your next car going to be? You know, it's a worldly mentality of more, 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 more. And it's exhausting 
Anyone here find that exhausting? It is exhausting. And it's not like that with our Heavenly Father. And that's what Jesus is teaching us with this parable. He's teaching us two things. Firstly, that our righteousness is nothing to do with what we do. Not like the Pharisee who was like, look at me, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm right because of this. No, it's just, it's about Jesus. All we have to do is accept Jesus. And it's so refreshing, so releasing when we realize that. God's not preoccupied with our outward appearances and our achievements. He's just interested in our heart. All he wants is for us to come. He says, come as you are. No perfect people allowed. Look at even the tax collector, despised by all, welcomed by God when he humbled himself and cried out to God. So we don't have to do, because Jesus did it. We just have to be ourselves and, and spend time with God. It's, it's difficult to do that. It is difficult. I'm not saying it was easy. This has been like a years-long journey for me, and I'm not there yet. You know, it's probably going to be the, the entire rest of my lifetime fighting that worldly battle and my inner battle of, like, do more, then I'm good, do this, then I'm good. Um, and this is another big message that I've learned, is to be humble. We don't have to impress God. We can't. How can we impress God, the maker of the heavens and earth? Look at the workings of the human eye. Look at a tree. Look at the ocean. God made all of those things. How can I impress him by doing this little thing? You know, like he's amazing. What impresses God is just us accepting him and coming to him and saying, I can't do it. I'm rubbish. I'm a sinner. I've I've tried really hard and I've crashed. I just need you. And it's so releasing and so free. So how should we live differently in response to this teaching from Jesus? So I know so far I've maybe focused on the, the Pharisee and, and, and how much maybe we're like the Pharisee. But I realize that there's maybe also people here or a lot of people here that think they can also relate to the tax collector. Maybe you think, I'm not worthy. I'm not likable. I've failed in my job, I've failed in relationships, I've let people down, I'm not worth anything. See what Jesus says about the tax collector in verse 14. The tax collector who was hated, who'd chosen the wrong path, who wasn't even accepted by his own people. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went home justified before God. Justified means that we're made righteous in the sight of God. The way you see yourself, if you see yourself as unworthy, unlikable, not an achiever, rubbish, the way that you see yourself and the way others maybe see you, maybe you think that other people see you in that way, that's not the way Jesus sees you. He loves you and you are made perfect through Jesus. For God so loved the world, that was brought this morning, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say whoever does A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. You know, we don't have to do all those things. We just have to love him and believe in him. I just want to pray. If you feel like you are, um, that you can relate to that tax collector, I just want to pray into that because what you believe about yourself is not the way that you are. 
You are chosen. You are loved. You are adored. God gave his son for you. Father God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. It doesn't make any sense to us. Even trying to explain it, it doesn't make sense. But it was the most amazing expression of love and acceptance. And as we see Jesus throughout his time on earth, just drawing alongside the sinners, the rejected, the unloved, we know, God, that you love us. And I pray, God, if there's anyone here this morning that's feeling any correlation with any of those feelings of unworthiness, feeling unlovable, feeling like a failure. Father God, I just pray that you would pour your love into their hearts right now. Holy Spirit, would they know that they are, uh, would you just pour your love into them and would they know that they are chosen, that they are redeemed, that they are made perfect because of Jesus All they need is to accept Jesus and they are loved by you. Thank you for your love that goes beyond anything. Amen. Amen. So what about if any of the references I made to that Pharisee you can see in your own life? How can we live differently then in response to this parable? Maybe you've been so focused on the things that you're doing for God And that you've drifted, like I did, away from just enjoying your relationship with God. Maybe you've been been so bogged down with life. Maybe you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, the constant pressures, the busyness of life. And you feel like, how can I come to Jesus? I've got nothing to offer him. Maybe you think, you know, you think that the things that you're doing that make you feel good... And, you've, and you've, you're focused on those things and you've just forgotten that you're saved by, by Jesus and not saved by your works. Maybe you recognize that you've become proud and self-righteous. You can see that you need to humble yourself and decrease and allow God to increase. It's not about more works is the answer. It's not like, right, so how am I going to respond? Right, you're going to respond by doing all of these things. It's, not, it's like, it's, that's not it. It's as simple as a heart choice. In the final sentence, Jesus says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humbling yourself is an action, a laying down of self, a laying down of your striving, if you're needing to find value in yourself and your achievements and saying, God, come into my life and be glorified. I'm a sinner. I can't do it in my own strength. I need you. We're going to take communion in a moment, and I think it's just the most beautiful way to just end. As I said, we've got that soft bread, the meat, the challenge, the self-evaluation, but God's ways for us are good. You know, God wants to lead us into green pastures. I want to read um, Psalm 23. I love this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we humble ourselves and let ourselves be led by the shepherd, by God, what actually happens is it renews our strength. It's the opposite of what the world tells us. The world tells us, do more, and that will bring you fulfillment. Achieve more, and that will bring you fulfillment. It's, it's like completely on the opposite with Jesus, who says, come as you are, lay it all down. I am the bread of life. And he renews our strength. Love if the band could come back up. Um, when we come to communion this morning... I, I want us to, to, don't be like me when I was, you know, eight or ten or however old I was and, the, you know, looking at myself and going, I'm okay, I'm good. Don't focus on yourself. Focus through the communion on Jesus, his body and his blood shed for us, given for us to bring us freedom. The way that we walk with him is free. He's, he's, he's brought us freedom to just be ourselves. We don't have to strive. We don't have to toil. We don't have to work hard. We just need to accept Jesus, know that we are loved, and walk in obedience to what he calls us into. And that, that requires us to allow space to do that. And I want us to have some space now to just respond to that message.